Lord God, that you would open our hearts to receive everything that you have for us this morning, God. That we would walk away changed because we've encountered you. So we give you praise and glory and honor and thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for joining us. Jason, would you put those lyrics up? I, I want us to declare these lyrics of ourselves. You know, this is the second verse to Hosanna, and it says, I see a generation rising up to take their place. It's talking about us, guys. It's talking about our student ministry. That's talking about our children, that we're teaching the Word of God, the things of God. I see a generation rising up to take their place in the kingdom of God with selfless faith, with selfless faith. I see a near revival stirring as we pray and seek. We've been talking about we're in a a season of 40 days of prayer and fasting. We're on our knees. We're on our knees. Guys, as we're praying during these 40 days, let's be expecting God to do something miraculous and mighty in our lives, in our families, in this country. Lord God, uh, we just thank you, Father, for what you're going to do and what you're doing. And we commit all these things to you, and we pray with expectation. In Jesus' name, amen. And we're continuing in this series, Prayer, Purpose, and Passion. The last few weeks, we've been talking about prayer. Last week, I I taught on uh, what is a prayer language. And there were a number of people that were missing that I was thinking, man, I wish they were here because they really needed to hear that teaching. So if you've missed any of these teachings, if you missed last week, I encourage you to go back online livefellowship.me. You can click on the sermon slides, and so you can read along in the slides as you listen to the audio of the sermon. And I really encourage you to go back and listen to that if you missed last week. So what is our purpose in life? We've been talking about prayer, the importance of prayer. And this morning, I'm going to be talking about what is our purpose in life. And I'm going to teach on the general purpose for our life. When you look at the Bible, you will see that there are really two different purposes. There's a a general purpose for all of us, that all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. God desires that none should perish. And so you see general things like that. You also see that that, uh, Jesus said, I've come that you may have abundant life. So there's a general purpose for all of us, and then there are specific purposes. Uh, You probably won't find in the, well, I don't think you'll find in the Bible anywhere where it says, Mark, you're to marry Christine or A.J. Linda, you know, you, there, so there are general purposes in the Bible, and they're specific, and so we need the Holy Spirit to guide us and lead us in all those, but this morning, I'm really going to be talking more about the general purpose, and we're going to be going to Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 15 through 20, and that's a familiar passage of Scripture for many of you, and also Deuteronomy 17. Let's go to Deuteronomy, or you can follow on the screens. Also, my first point this morning is God desires godly homes and godly nations. Through this series, we've been learning about prayer and the different aspects of prayer. And I've been taking us through multiple scriptures that show us why we need to pray. We talked about this, especially the last week and I think the week before. We talked about we're in a spiritual battle. The word says that we battle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers of darkness in the heavenly places. So uh, we're not consumed with that. I mean, we focus on the fact that greater is he who is in us, Christ in us, and he who is in the world. But we don't neglect or or bury our head in the sand and, and not realize that we are in a spiritual battle. And prayer is one of the greatest weapons that we have in that battle. 
as we receive direction from the Holy Spirit, then we are empowered to act. And so we pray and we say, Lord, I'm on my knees. What do you want me to do? How do you want me to handle this situation? And so we receive direction from the Holy Spirit, and then it's up to us to act, to follow through. When the Lord called us to start Life Fellowship, we had to step out in faith. I knew that the Lord was calling us to start this church, to pioneer this church. And so I sought the Lord for his direction, his purpose, his mission, our core values, our core scripture, his plan and desires for this church, because I needed to know that in order to move forward. Listen, if it's helpful to know that you're going on a trip before you go on a trip, right? And so you can plan and, and be packing, and, and it's also insightful to kind of at least know what direction you're going, right? Are we going north, south, east, or west? Before we go on a journey, we need to prepare and, and plan for that. Well, as we travel through our journey of life, it's important that we ask the Lord to lead us and guide us and help us because we know that we're all on a journey through this life. But we do that. We find direction through God's Word, spending time in prayer, allowing the Holy Spirit to speak to us, taking quiet time to not only present our petitions but also receive what the Lord has for us. And then also God can speak to us through other people, maybe our spouse or um, you know, our pastor or, or whoever that may be. It's helpful to seek the Lord as we travel through life on this journey. Let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 15 through 20, and read some of the final instructions that Moses gives to Joshua and the people of Israel just prior to entering into the promised land. Okay, my first point this morning is God desires godly homes and godly nations my second point this morning is we make the choice to follow God's plans. Deuteronomy 30, 15 says, Now listen, today I'm giving you a choice between life and death, between prosperity and disaster. Okay, so if you're given the choice between life and death and prosperity and disaster, what are you going to choose? I know what I'm going to choose. And when you go back and read, you see that Moses is pleading with the people. They're getting ready to enter into the promised land, and he's telling them over and over and over and over again, stay connected to God. Don't waver. Don't compromise in your faith. Stay connected to the Lord, and don't worship idols and, and all the other things that the other nations do that you're going to be moving into their area. He goes on to say in verse 16, For I, com I command you this day to love the Lord your God and to keep his commands, decrees, and regulations by walking in his ways. So how do we obey the Lord? By keeping his commands, decrees, and regulations, and by walking in his ways. The more I read about Moses, the more I see a man who really loves God and has a deep love for the people. I see a man who has a pastor's heart for the people he's leading. He's not wanting to speak doom and gloom over these people. He loves them enough to address their coming challenges. Have you ever had somebody speak something tough into your life and you really didn't want to hear it, but deep down you knew it and you knew you needed it? That's Moses. He's speaking to the people. And so he... You know, Moses had a history with these people, too. I mean, it's not like he just met them. He'd seen how fickle they had become or how fickle they were. Committed to God one day and worshiping a golden calf the next. Oh, we're going to worship the Lord. We're going to make a covenant to commit to the Lord. And then next thing you know, they're worshiping a golden calf. So Moses is pleading, commanding and pleading, instructing, using every ounce of influence he can 
to get them to get the picture, to understand how important it is to follow God. Why? Why? Because he loves them. Because he wants the best for them and the generations to follow. Deuteronomy 30, 16 again. For I command you this day to love the Lord your God and keep his commands, decrees, and regulations by walking in his ways. If you do this, wait, if, what does that mean? It's conditional, right? If you do this, you will live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you and the land you are about to enter and occupy. Would you like the land that you live in to be blessed? Okay. And Moses is, is laying out a principle here. He's saying, if you do this, you will live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you and the land you are about to enter and occupy. Verse 17, but if your heart turns away and you refuse to listen, here's another uh, opportunity for us to respond to God, right? He's saying, but if your heart turns away, it's a choice that they make, right? It's a choice that we all make. If our heart turns away and you refuse to listen, and if you are drawn away to serve and worship other gods, verse 18 are the consequences, then I warn you now that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live a long, good life in the land you're crossing the Jordan to occupy. Verse 19, today, again, he reiterates, today I've given you the choice between life and death, between blessings and curses. Now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. Oh, that you would choose life so that you and your descendants might live. Oh, that you would follow the commands and the decrees of the Lord so that you would be blessed so that you and your children would be blessed. He goes on to say in verse 20, you can make this choice by loving the Lord your God, obeying him, and committing yourself firmly to him. Love God, obey God, commit firmly to him. And what does he say next? This is the key to your life. Want another key to your life? Love God, obey God, commit firmly to him. It's really not that difficult. goes on to say in verse 20, and if you love and obey the Lord, you will live long in the land the Lord swore to give to your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so this is a principle that Moses has laid out. And as we look in the Bible, we see things where God says, hey, do this. God has set boundaries for us. And we talked about this numerous times. When we stay in those boundaries, that's where the blessings of God are. That's where it's safe. That's where we need to be. When we begin to step out of those boundaries that God has set, that's where we get into trouble. So my first point is God desires godly homes and a godly nation and godly nations because he desires that people would follow after the Lord. Now, listen, when you have a home like we have represented here today and you're a Christian home and you're living it and you're loving God, you're obeying God and you're committing firmly to God, that has an impact on your neighborhood. And as we have multiple people that live in our community that are Christian followers and sharing the light of Christ, that has an impact on that community. And so you begin to see the influence and the impact of that as those communities are like candlelights, lighting up the light, shining the light of Christ. We can impact our whole, our whole town or community, wherever we live. But it starts with us. And so God desires godly homes and godly nations to follow after the things of, of him so that they can walk in the blessings and the fullness of life. My second point is we make the choice to follow God's plans, just like they uh, thousands of years ago had the choice to follow after God or not. We have the same opportunity to choose 
My third point this morning is stand for God and his truth. We can look back and see numerous kings in Israel that did not follow the Lord. Their choices did not just impact the reign of, of them and their kingdom, but it had an immediate impact on their family. It often impacted the nation of Israel as well. The people of Israel would suffer because of the choices that the kings would make in disobeying the Lord. Let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 17. And this is Moses again, of course. Uh, long before Israel ever appointed a king, Moses gives them guidelines for how they are to select a king. He says in Deuteronomy 17, 14, You are about to enter the land the Lord your God is giving you. When you take it over and settle there, you may think, we should select a king to rule over us like the other nations around us. Verse 15, If this happens, be sure to select as king the man the Lord your God chooses. You must appoint a fellow Israelite. He must not be a foreigner. So he's saying, seek the Lord. Seek the Lord. Be praying. Moses goes on to further instruct. He says, the king must not accumulate a large stable of horses or gold or silver for himself. He tells him, never return to Egypt from where you were delivered, even to buy horses. Don't go back there. Just stay away from Egypt. The king must not take a large number of wives for himself as they will turn his heart from the Lord. He must daily remind himself of these decrees and continue to follow the Lord. These are some of the outlines that Moses is saying, hey, if you, when you get to the promised land, if you decide you want to select a king, these are the things that the king needs to, to keep in check. He needs to be reminded of these things on a daily basis. Yet we see that Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, took on hundreds of wives. He even married the Egyptian pharaoh's daughter for political purposes. Even though Solomon was the wisest man to ever live, he still made choices to disobey God. Listen, it doesn't matter how wise you are, how smart you are, how intelligent you are, how much money you have. None of that matters. It, it comes down to us making the choices to follow God or not. Here's the wisest man who've ever lived, and he made some bad choices. Choices that impacted him and the kingdom. Here in America, we have the privilege and responsibility to elect our political leaders. Let's ensure we are praying for our choices. I would suggest we elect individuals that reflect Christian morals and beliefs. Listen, I, I'm not, I will never tell you who to vote for. I will never uh, publicly endorse one party over another. That's not my role. I believe our problems are spiritual. They're not political. They're spiritual because we, we are turning our hearts from God. We're turning away from the Lord. We are seeking other things. We're being distracted by other things. I think our problems here in America are spiritual because we're turning our back on God. We're walking away from him. When we remove God from our society and our lives, we're headed down a slippery slope. And there's starting to be pressure placed on pastors to refrain from preaching about certain lifestyles or specific sins that God tells us to stay away from. If you're visiting here today, this is a very atypical sermon for me. <laughs> I, I don't normally talk about these kinds of things, and, and please understand this is not a political sermon. This is about we need to take a stand for God. We need to stand up for the Lord. What if Jesus would have said, well, you know, this is going to offend some people. Maybe I, sh maybe I should lighten up here. No, Jesus loved people enough to, to teach them the truth. What if the apostles would have said, you know, they're, they're going to torture us and kill us and, 
and do all kinds of, they're going to whip us and beat us and tell us not to share the good news of Christ. Maybe we shouldn't do that. No. Because God's law trumps man's law. And we need to follow, we need to be committed and determined, determined to follow God's law. And there are a lot of Christians that are compromising. There are a lot of Christians that are apathetic toward the things of God. The cross offends some people. But, you know, the gospel, the good news of Christ may offend people. It doesn't mean that we, we stop sharing the gospel, the good news of Christ. When the local or the state or the federal government begins to come in and try to mandate what churches can teach on or what pastors can say, we're headed down a path that, that's going to be very, very dangerous, I'm afraid. And there are, there's pressure being put on pastors today. And I was planning to teach on this uh, the last couple of weeks as I've been praying about this, this sermon. I, again, this is very atypical for me. If you've been coming here for a while, this will be a first that you've ever heard me talk about some of these things. But it was really confirmed this week, or well, actually last week, I guess, that I needed to teach on this. And when, as I was preparing this message and I think that's relaxed some. I'm, I haven't been keeping up with all the updates. But there are a number of pastors that the mayor of Houston is going after to subpoena their sermon notes to see if they are preaching against homosexuality or preaching against the mayor. And if they don't comply, they would be held in contempt of court. And I think all of this is stemming from the city of Houston was trying to pass an ordinance that would allow men to go into women's restrooms and women to go in men's restrooms, depending on how they were feeling that day or how they were dressed or whatever. I mean, there are unisex bathrooms, okay? But, I mean, it doesn't even make any sense that they would push this agenda. And what happened was a number of pastors rose up, and they, they had to get, I think, 17,000 names on a petition. They got like 50,000, and the city threw a bunch of them out to because these pastors were saying, hey, this is something the residents need to vote on, and the city is just trying to strong-arm them. And, and I mean, if you think about it, does it even make sense? If I had a 10-year-old daughter, and I went, and she said, and we're in a public area, and, and she said, I, I need to go to the restroom, how comfortable would I be with knowing that uh, a man could go into that restroom or send a, uh, my 10-year-old son into the restroom and knowing that a woman could come in there? These things don't even make logical sense. I never thought I would see the day when the Bible talks about the Scripture. In the end, they will call evil good and good evil. But I think we're seeing that, guys. We're seeing the start of that. And again, if you think that this is a political message, you have misunderstood my heart. You've misunderstood the basis of this teaching. This is about us standing up as Christians, standing up in... In, the, in America for our rights. Because when you look back and you see that when Jesus was alive, they were under the oppression of the Roman government. We have more rights than they did. We have the opportunity to elect our king. We have the opportunity to vote for the people that are enforcing and making the laws that we live by. And again, I've, you know, I've, I've talked about the last couple of weeks about our battles not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers of darkness in the heavens. But listen, we need to stand up, guys. Um, one, of our, one of our students last year was uh, playing football. And during the football game on a Friday night, one of the opposing players got hurt. 
And he began to kneel and, and call the, his team together to pray for this young man. And some of the, even the opposing team where they had their player got hurt, they began to pray. You know, the school district would probably say, no, you can't do that. You can't pray. But here's a young man that said, you know what? If it were my leg that was broken or, or banged up or whatever, I would want somebody praying for me. And so this young man takes the initiative to say, come on, guys. Down on our knees. Let's pray. Let's pray for this guy. Are we willing to stand up for our faith? Are we willing to pray for people? Last week, uh, there's, there's a gentleman that's working on, a, on our house, and he's an acquaintance. I don't know him very well. But he began to share some of his story with me and, and talk to me about what was going on in his life. And I said, well, what's your relationship with the Lord like? And he began to talk about how he used to go to church and it's kind of drifted away from that. And I came back to my question. I said, well, what's your relationship like? You know, I, I don't care about where you go to church or you used to. What's your relationship with the Lord like? Because it's not about religion. It's about our relationship. And, and he said, well, I, I kind of drifted away. And I said, well, would you like to rededicate your life to the Lord? And he said, yeah. I said, you want to do that now? And he said, yeah. So standing in, in my garage, I, I led him in a prayer of salvation. You know, there are countries where that's illegal. <laughs> and I wonder if it's going to be illegal here one day. I wasn't hindered in any way in being able to pray with this man. That's important to him. It's important. It's important that our children are praying and uh, can read their Bibles. Come on. John 10.10, 10, Jesus said the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Jesus said, I came to give you a rich life. But listen, we're not going to walk in the fullness of life if we're not living in accordance to God's plan for our life. There, the attack on the family is increasing. The attack on the body of Christ is increasing. The attack on our American freedom is increasing. The attack on the local church is escalating. Listen, if the government comes in and says, listen, you cannot preach the gospel any longer, can you imagine the impact that that would have on this country? This country has, has sent out, it has been a major force in sending out missionaries all over the globe to share the gospel of Christ. I was talking with my mom recently, and, and uh, I was just having a conversation. I said, where were you? Where was the church when prayer was taken out of school? And she said, well, you know, I don't know. We didn't really talk about it. We didn't really think that it would impact anything. It was just really, bottom line, it was apathy. I said, where were you? Where was the church when abortion was made legal? Roe versus Wade. What was the church thinking? What was going on there? And again, the same thing. And before we point the finger at them, what are our children and grandchildren going to be asking us? Where were you when they redefined what marriage was? Where were you when they chose to destroy life, to remove our freedom of speech and religion? What were you doing? If the church can be silenced and God taken out of society, we are headed for serious trouble. And again, please, please don't miss understand me. This is not a political message. This is, hey, guys, we need to stand up for our faith. If we're not going to stand up for the cause of Christ, who is going to stand up? And as we read last week, the enemy has strategies. 
And one of his greatest strategies is to cause us to be complacent and apathetic to the cause of Christ, to not stand up for our faith. What if the disciples would have said, you know what, we're, we're just not going to stand up for our faith. They're persecuting us. They're, tell, they're beating us and telling us not to go share the good news. What if they would have said, we're going to stop? What happens if we come under persecution? Are we going to stop? There are all kinds of things that can destroy this great nation from within. I want to look at what Jesus said about division in Matthew 3, 24. This country was founded on Christian principles. Are we going to stand for those? Mark 3, 24, a kingdom divided by civil war will collapse. It says in the New American Standard Bible, if a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. I have serious concerns about our nation. You see uh, polarization in our country right now. Listen, we need to be pulling together. We need to be praying. And, if uh, you know, in the 40 days of, of prayer, one of the things that we're praying for is this nation. And so, listen, we need to be praying for our president. We need to be praying for our political leaders. We need to be praying for our local leaders. We need to be praying for the, uh, the mayor and, and the city council of Houston, League City, Seabrook, wherever you live. We need to be praying for those people. You need to be, to be praying for your pastors and pray for the churches around us. We know that there's an, an enemy and he has a strategy to destroy anything that represents Christ. America has been one of the greatest and most influential nations to bring the good news of Christ to the world. And I think if the enemy could stop that, he would. I think he's trying to do that. In a few weeks, we'll have the opportunity to elect officials. Will you continue to pray for this great nation? Will you continue to pray for who you vote for? Will you vote? Listen, we have a great opportunity. Will you choose to elect officials that represent godly values? I want to run this video clip. Every few years, we have a great opportunity in America, and that is that we get to decide who is going to lead our nation, who our leaders are. These elections are so important because the leaders that we elect will determine our future on several very important issues, including marriage, life, the national debt, and our religious freedoms. You know, it's estimated that there are at least 30 million Christians in America who do not vote. Yeah, you heard me right. 30 million Christians who don't vote. But at the very same time, every presidential election in the past 25 years has been won by less than 10 million votes. The good news is that if the church will take a stand by voting, we can change the future of this nation. In Exodus 18, Moses was instructed to select from all the people able men, such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness, and place such over them to be rulers or to be leaders. We have that opportunity in every election. I would like to see 100% voter registration at every biblically-based church in America. In this election cycle, Gateway Church is running a Vote Under God campaign to encourage our members to vote according to biblical values. I want to ask you to do the very same thing at your church. It's a simple yet effective and legal way to make an impact on the nation. Just because we're Christians does not mean that we don't have the right to vote. We have the right to vote because we're citizens of this country. 
and we need to elect men and women of character who will set in place principles that we can live by in this country. You can get all the resources that you need at VoteUnderGod.com. Please join me in encouraging your members to register, vote, and support biblical values in this next election. If every pastor in America will do this, we can take a stand for righteousness and we can see America restored to one nation under God. May God bless you and may God bless America. If you're visiting today, this is a very atypical message for me. And I'm a little uncomfortable with this, but I feel like this is something that we need to talk about. We've talked about we're going to teach the Bible, we're going to teach all of it. And when it comes to, to our lives, when it comes to this great nation, I, you know, I'm passionate about it. We all have a vested interest in the laws that are passed and the things that are enforced and, and uh, uh, the demands that are put on us, the, the freedom that we have. Uh, we, we have numerous biblical examples of leaders turning their backs on God and seeing the consequences of those decisions. I've heard people say, well, you can't legislate morality. Well, I, I agree with that. But what we can do is we can live godly, righteous lives. We can vote for people that reflect the values that we live as Christian. Let's ensure we are not allowing apathy to slip in and, and destroy our families, our lives, this great nation. If we think that they're only going after the, the government and people that want to shut down religion and, and really, more importantly, the message of Christ, I don't really care that much about religion. What I care about is Christ and the relationship with him. But if we think it's only the large churches that will be silenced, we're being deceived. We are deceived. If we think, oh, well, this will not impact me and my family, we're deceived. We're in a spiritual battle. As Christians, prayer is vital in receiving guidance and direction. As Christians, we must stand for the values and the principles of God. And we have a unique opportunity living here in America that we get to vote for the people to represent us. And if we're not voting in people that represent our, our values, then we're going to see the consequences of those things. We have a privilege and a responsibility. And we can determine who has a direct say and who leads this nation and the laws that we must follow. And I'm not sure that we won't be accountable one day. Many nations and generations of people before us would have given their life for this privilege and opportunity to have the freedom that we have. Oh, wait a minute. Many people have given their life so that we could have this freedom. In the days ahead, we need the Lord to help us, and it will be imperative to receive direction from the Holy Spirit to guide us and lead us. It begins with our relationship with Christ. Say that gentleman that I was talking with last week, uh, really since I really sensed that the Lord was the time was then to to ask him about his relationship with the Lord and and uh, ask him if he wanted to rededicate his life to Christ. What if I couldn't have done that? You know, what if I what if I could have been thrown in jail? What if he could have been thrown in jail by praying that prayer? It might have had an impact on the outcome. 
I want us to be seriously praying for this nation. In this 40 days of prayer, I want you to, to continue to pray. We're on day 15, I think. And the things that we're praying for are ourself. God, is there anything in me? Is there anything in my heart, Lord, that you need to remove and backfill that with, with your love, with your presence? Praying for our families, praying for our marriages, praying for our Life Fellowship family. Does anybody in here need prayer besides me? <laughs> Listen, we need to pray for one another. And there are times when I'm praying where I'll see your face in my mind's eye and I'll begin to pray for you. And so if we would all just pray and, and being led by the Holy Spirit, we would be praying for one another and uh, we're praying for this nation. This nation needs help. We need help. Praying for Israel. Praying for believers all around the world. There are people that don't have the privilege to stand and to come to a building and even worship God. They have to hide. They have to go underground. If we were in that situation, I would hope that there would be other believers praying for me, praying for you. We're praying that Life Fellowship will grow to 100 families and specifically that God will speak to the men of our families to be godly, strong men, men of integrity that don't compromise, that are godly followers that love God, commit to God, and obey God. We're praying to have our own building so that we can really make Kingdom Kids all that we want it to be so that we can enhance what we're doing. We need to be praying for the teachers. We, there are so many things we need to be praying for. Just listen. Just get on your knees and pray, pray for these things, and maybe God will have you stop somewhere in this list. Or maybe you get through this list, or maybe there are other needs that you have. Listen, guys, we need to be on our knees. God wants to do something, and I don't believe it is too late for this nation to, to see revival. And see God do amazing things. God is doing amazing things in different places. And we've seen God do amazing things here. Uh, I've seen marriages healed and restored. I've seen people physically healed. I've seen people getting spiritually healed and whole. But we have to place ourselves in an environment where God can do that. I mean, God can do that wherever. But it's, it's helpful if, if we have a conducive environment where we're able to come together and worship together corporately. This morning, we're going to take some time, ministry time, and as we've been doing the last few weeks. And I want to take some time for us just to, pray, to spend some time in prayer. You can pray, you can begin to pray for some of these things, or if you have a, a prayer request that you'd like for me to pray with you about, come up, I'll pray with you. And if someone comes up, let's be praying for them, whatever their needs are. Um, you know, whatever, let's just take some time right now to spend in prayer and seek the Lord. I believe the Lord wants to speak to us. And so let's just get in a posture of receiving from Him right now.
this morning and you may have walked away from the Lord. Maybe maybe the Lord is tugging on your heart this morning. And you know that He's calling you into a deeper relationship with Him. And again, maybe you've walked away. Maybe you've never had a relationship with, with Him. If that's you, I'd like for you, everyone to bow their heads and close, close your eyes. And if that's you here this morning, would you slip up your hand? I just want to pray with you. Jesus loves you. There's no shame in that. All of us have come to that place of realizing and recognizing that we need a Savior. Don't walk out of this building and not receive everything that He has for us today. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this wonderful, wonderful congregation of life fellowship. I thank you that you have called us to be world changers. And we're not world changers by sitting on our sofa with the remote in our hand and burying our head in the sand. But we're called world changers because it's the power of Christ living in us that's replicating and duplicating your heart, your character. And Lord God, that you would use us to make a difference in the world around us. There are hurting people all around us that simply need to know that you love them and that, that you place them in our path, that we can pray for them and pray with them and stand with them in their struggles. And Lord God, we pray for this great nation. What an awesome nation that we live in with all the privileges that we have. Let us never become complacent or apathetic about these things, but let us see and seize every opportunity that we have to share the gospel of Christ because it's life-changing, it's life-giving. And people need the Lord. We need you, Lord. So let give us a greater passion and fire and desire to share your love. Not necessarily beating people up with the Bible, but by living it, by people seeing Christ in us, by people experiencing the love of God that's flowing through our life, that they're drawn to you, that we may have the opportunity to, to lead them to you, Lord God. So, Father, as we go from this place this morning, let us walk in the fullness of Christ that you came to give. In Jesus' name. Thank you so much for being here this morning. And listen, I hope no one has misunderstood my heart. My heart is that we will stand firm for God. The world needs to see a standard, and he is the standard, unmovable. He is the truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. So go out and live it today. Thank you for joining us. God bless you.